welcome to the edition podcast where I dig into all things media, tech and the world of digital. Uh, this week you're very lucky because not only do you get me, Charlotte Henry, you get another Charlotte as well. I'm joined by UK editor of the Press Gazette, Charlotte Tobit. Hi, Charlotte number two, presumably the, exper- uh, the, presumably the uh, superior Charlotte. How are you? Depends what what uh, sphere you're talking about, I guess. But <laughs> it's always good to talk to another Charlotte. So thank exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. Welcome to Team Charlotte. Um, <laughs> we've got some really something really interesting and something I'm always fascinated by because you did an interview recently uh, for the Press Gazette's Future Media podcast. Uh, with Claire Hodgson, who is editor in chief of Cosmopolitan UK, uh, world famous women's magazine brand. Um, but obviously part of your conversation was how it's not just about being a magazine. So let's kind of start at the beginning of what is Cosmo doing? You know, this 50 year old famous brand that we all know and grew up, kind of grew up with one way or the other. What's it doing to stay relevant now that we're March 2023? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, it's it's trying things out like all magazine brands have to obviously you know that's sort of magazine um survival 101 nowadays but um it's interesting when claire describes what cosmo is nowadays um it's she says sort of it's not just a magazine it's a digital business it's a video content producer it's a social media publisher so um like everyone it's got all those angles um but what i thought is particularly interesting about cosmo is that they do try things out very early so for example back in 2018 when they were um one of uh, a relatively small number of publishers uh who were the first UK ones on Snapchat Discover to create shows for the platform. And that's done really well. And they're still getting really strong engagement out of that, you know, five years later. And the other thing that's still ongoing is their use of the gaming platform Roblox. Um, I think it's still in a beta stage, but they've created the Summerverse, which I actually got to try out at um, an event um, by uh, the publisher Hershey K last year and it was my first time trying out Roblox and um, I'd never done any games on it or anything before um, so that's quite interesting and you know you can see how there are opportunities to monetize it quite easily with all the different buildings and um, either theme a whole building around it or even just like billboards on the buildings where you're wandering around and your yeah. little person's going for a swim and stuff like that it's quite fun so um, yeah, it's interesting that they're they're doing these things, um, you know. And I've I've written a bit about the metaverse um, type of things sure. a, a few times over the past year, and they're one of the few that are actually doing something quite like that. So I, that's what I thought was really interesting about them right now. Yeah, it, it was really interesting to kind of think look at that digital I found the Roblox thing really interesting maybe we'll we'll come back to that in a bit but I kind of want to step take a step back and look at the whole sector of women's magazines because it's a bit of a tumultuous time we've seen obviously as with everything we've seen print numbers down we've also sadly seen some brands close or at least close the print product um but I kind of always think people have some brand loyalty with these things you know you go up if you're a Cosmo reader or an L reader or Vogue reader or whatever um, and how how do you see that sector of women's media as a whole? Uh, what does that even look like in 2023? So 
it's interesting what you say about the um, sort of brand loyalty, because I think that is part of what's helping them to survive and sort of the legacy of some of these brands as well. So, for example, Claire mentioned, um, not sure if we kept it in, but some of the um, like young women that join the team or interview or whatever, like they know the brand so well. And um, in some cases, like, like their mums might have read it and and you know, they know that it's been around a long time, they respect it, um, as do many other people. So um, that's why we still sort of speak of them quite highly instead of just like a random social media brand. Um, but... Well, I mean, we should say at this point, it, Cosmo does a magazine every other month. It's still got a fundamental print product. Obviously, you know, Vogue and plenty of other have that print product front and center as well but the one that i think uh claire when you spoke to her described described it if nothing else as a shop window the print magazine but it got me wondering actually how for any of these brands can the magazine be more than a shop window you know uh you know you and i both love print products we buy them we contribute to them what and so on but they all whenever I hear editors have these kind of conversations, they always seem to say how important the print product is and then do a load of other stuff that isn't actually about the print product. And I can understand why that is. And I can understand why that's so important because it clearly is like, if you want, you can't just put your head in the sand and pretend if so long as you put out a print product, that's all you need to do. We know that's not true. Um, but I do wonder if with lots of these editors, I'm not just referring to Cosmo, there's lots of examples of this where actually it's a bit tokenistic and kind of sometimes they might be pleased if they didn't have to think about putting stuff out on paper once a month or once every two months or whatever. Am I being a bit unfair? Yeah, I'd, I'd say you just have to think, you don't have to think of it, how do they make it more than a shop window? Like as long as it's a good example of being what it is, being a great print magazine, you don't have to make it like the biggest part of the brand anymore that I think that's the key difference so like all these brands their online numbers are going up like they're still reaching huge numbers of people um so just because they're not through print um doesn't mean that I don't think I think people in the media get very head up about print because they still love it and we still love it mm. but if if not all readers do but then they do like your brand and they like what it's doing or or maybe they'll pick up like the odd copy if they like the cover star or you know I think that's fine as long as but go to the website day after day after day yeah I mean it's a combination yeah definitely I, I mean I looked at the Cosmo numbers and it kind of bears out what you're saying you know they've got 499,000 Instagram followers Cosmo UK they've got 70 over 72,000 TikTok followers you know they have obviously made the it a key part of their whole offering the digital products the social products but obviously comes down to the fundamental question how on earth do you make money from these things now some of its partnerships uh but some of it, you know, it's all very well having great content, but you can only keep paying people to make that great content if you're making money. Well, definitely, which, you know, why sustainability is the key thing and that, that we're very much obsessed with as well. But um, I would say uh, we've done a couple of stories recently where sort of affiliate revenue seems to be um, mm. big and growing. Um, so I think that it maybe is 
an advantage of the online side of things growing. And then um, affiliates can be really good, as, you know, as long as it's treated properly, because um, it clearly does bring in revenue at their future, for example. It's it's really good. That's been a big part of their growth. Um, but then as long as you signpost it properly, so people understand that sort of the relationship, then um, they like being recommended things by a brand that they trust. So, you know, if you're building a trust, and it, it, it kind of works both ways. So um, that's really good. And then um, sort of a, another recent future piece we did uh, on like who, what, where, and Marie Claire US, so both, both in the US talked about, um, as well as affiliate, like advertising growing, like because certain sectors advertising is doing really well. Beauty seems to be one of those, particularly in the US. So I, I guess it's sort of um, pinpointing those areas and then um, uh, using them to your advantage. Yeah, so sort of, there are pockets out there. It's just it's not it's not all great. <laughs> yeah, I mean you can certainly see how affiliate I. Uh, you know the publication puts forward to you know writes about a product and gets a cut of the product if someone buys it can work brilliantly in women's magazines and women's media um, I should say at this juncture I contribute to a, a couple of future publications and also I'm testing out some affiliate stuff over at the edition so just uh, I'm particularly my ears perk up when you talk about this um, but yeah I can certainly see how that kind of affiliate stuff works but again that is a step away from the you don't get that if someone picks up a newsstand copy of any of these magazines, do you? It's a different, you know, that's pure. Can you sell advertising on the page still? And can you sell it? Yeah, exactly. But then again, I think for many, print advertising is still stronger than digital. So again, that's why it's good to have that combination. Yeah. And I noticed, you know, with all this talk of, you know, the big, digital things which completely makes sense to say you know I'm slightly playing devil's advocate because I completely understand why you want both you know want multiple revenue streams print and, and digital uh amidst all that they had a rather big Cosmo had a rather big um uh redesign which uh you know the website I you know is very clean now the magazines had a bit of a shake up and I guess when you're running a brand like that you always have to be conscious of you know not looking too dated yeah, and I think the way that, as you say, it looks kind of clean and fresh and simple. Mm. And I, I wonder if that works um, for people who are used to seeing similar content on Instagram. It kind of it kind of fits into that aesthetic in my mind. Yeah, yeah, it does have that kind of infinite scroll kind of vibe, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I just I do just find it fascinating how, you know. I've had various conversations about this and we'll have more and more of them. I'm sure you have too, about how these brands go from, you know, nice photographs and nice copy on a page to like you were saying, Claire Hodgson has talked about Cosmo as a video production house and like it, just to be a media brand now just in, involves so many different layers, doesn't it? Exactly. And it it makes some conversations about publishers hard I guess because it's hard you know it's natural to want to say oh they're doing that one thing well but it's never the only thing it's for everyone now like it's a real package um and I, I guess everyone's just kind of at a stage right now of figuring out um 
what percentage of your time and resources to put into those different revenue streams. Yeah, and one thing that I thought really came out of your conversation was how wrote, uh, how Cosmo had been kind of quite forthcoming and quite brave in trying out new things. Um, where, you know, there's been some criticism of other brands, uh, you know, I, I particularly, you know, the Vanity Fairs and the Vogues were maybe a little bit slow, uh, in, you know, with the branding and get it, you know, Anna Winter had to take that big job upgrade and now is really thinking about digital, but that wasn't always the case, for example. And it seemed to me that Cosmo was quite bold in some of those moves particularly that Roblox. And so for people that don't know, Roblox is a kind of metaverse gaming platform. People build their own worlds essentially and move around. It's kind of, I always think I'm probably being a bit simplistic, but I always think of it as kind of the next slightly glamorous iteration of a kind of Minecraft kind of thing. And, you know, as you said, they've made this kind of summer, permanent summer world that fits into the Cosmo brand. And they're testing that out at the moment. That I thought was rather a bold move, but it does lead me to the question, how does things like that generate income as well? So, yeah, I mean, as I mentioned before, it's sort of all about these relationships with clients. And so um, lots of clients will be very excited to have to be sort of the first in a place like that. And, and you know, some for some brands, they won't be as interested in print anymore. But, oh, there's this exciting thing. We want to be the first on there. Um, and and the key thing as well um, with something like the Roblox is that um, part of the reason Cosmo wanted to go on there was its um, growing demographic of like 16 to 24 yeah, year olds. Um, yeah, so obviously for many publishers, that's who they're desperately trying to reach right now. Um, advertisers will be exactly the same. So yeah. they can sort of work together with the common interest for that. Yeah, it makes uh, that when you put it like that, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm kind of... It, I, I both admire and sort of raise my eyebrows at brands that you know only focus on digital now obviously I love digital media but that's when you kind of build something from the ground up I think it's a different proposition when you've been a 50-year print product and then are looking into these things but I think probably one just has to admire the kind of boldness and the future future looking forward facing approach because otherwise uh, as I said before you're kind of just burying your head in the sand aren't you if you're not trying to do these things if you think you can just print a you know a multi a product every month because they did didn't they Cosmo go from being a monthly magazine to bi-monthly which again kind of makes me think how seriously are they are these brands taking prints because we've seen some completely stop print as well haven't we I mean yeah but yeah, exactly. But Cosmo made the decision we'd rather be less frequent than um, not not at all in print. Mm. I know that other magazines have done similar. I think there are more and more that are sort of maybe quarterly or bi-monthly like Cosmo. Uh, I can't think of a good example right now. But um, yes, which I think makes a lot of sense because then you, ha you do have the benefits um, of print that um, we discuss and Claire discuss, but you don't have as many of the costs you it doesn't matter if you're reaching less people but when you do when you do come out hopefully the people that do pick you up will be like oh yes finally like and and sort of take their time pouring over it you know and people love talking about um 
you sit down on maybe a Sunday with a cup of tea and then print product. And um, Claire said something quite funny actually, which I think didn't make it into the podcast, but about how they joked about making Cos a waterproof edition of Cosmo because they found out so many people read it in the bath. <laughs> no, that did make it. And I have to tell you, it made me chuckle as well because that is exactly me. I'm very much a <laughs> reader magazine in the bath and then try and make sure that they are the you know the edges don't get a bit damp and stuck together but yes there's a lovely image uh for all my listeners but yeah I, I do want to talk more broadly about uh where this industry is going where the women's media is going what does that even mean in 23 but first our sponsor collide has some big news if you're an opt user they can get your entire fleet to 100 percent compliance how if a device isn't compliant the user can't log into your cloud apps until they fix the problem. It's that simple. Collide patches one of the major holes in zero trust architecture, device compliance. Without Collide, IT struggles to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and browser up to date. Unsecured devices are logging into your company's apps because there's nothing there to stop them. Collide is the only device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication and it's built to work seamlessly with Okta. The moment Collide's agent detects a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions to fix it. If they don't fix the problem within a set time, they're blocked. Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. Visit collide.com slash the edition to learn more or book a demo. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash the edition. Thank you to Collide for sponsoring the show. I'm back with Charlotte Tobit, UK editor of the Press Gazette, and we're discussing, well, the future of Cosmo and the future of women's magazines more generally. I mean, obviously, we've talked quite rightly a lot about the world, uh, you know, how these are stepping into the digital world. Um, and that goes for the journalists as well. It's not just a name on a print page anymore. It's very important for journalists. I mean, it's relevant in all sectors, but it seems to me if you're writing about beauty, uh, sex and relationships, you know, lifestyles in general, it seems very important that the journalists themselves have a personality and dare I suggest it, a brand in and of themselves. Oh, definitely. That's probably been one of the major changes in media over the past few years, I'd say, obviously, um, many journalists think of Twitter when we think of that, because a lot of journalists love Twitter, but <laughs> for for um, a sector like women's media, actually, Instagram's probably, and, and now TikTok, beauty and fashion stuff is big on TikTok as well, um, is uh, even bigger part. So, um, I mentioned who, what, where already there, they've got like this um, editors as influencers um, strategy um, where they sort of frame their content through a first person angle and then um, they sort of say that that's more engaging to the reader and, um, and um, the uh, male publisher DMG Media. Um, you mean the Daily Mail as opposed started. to Mel as in men in just... Oh, sorry, yes, 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 
other there are other brands like maybe the Daily Mail aren't targeting so much. But um, the reason I wanted to mention them was they um, also were going at it with this idea of making their journalists more like content creators or influencers and sort of deliberately hiring people with that in mind and sort of using those people's personalities in like their social posts and and things like that um to so that people get to know them and and for example if one sort of reviews um some clothes frequently and um, other people like with a similar body type might get to know them and then sort of really like what they have to say and keep coming back and that sort of thing so um sort of hybrid journalists and influencers Whatever yeah, that. it's really intriguing. This, I mean, I'm thinking of uh, Taylor Lorenz, the tech writer at the Washington Post, who has been very forward thinking about this. You know, she's on TikTok, she's on Instagram, she's not just tweeting out links to her stories and getting on with it. Um, she's been because she's writing about those platforms, she's actively engaged in the platforms. Um, so it's not just the kind of fashion and beauty spaces or where, whatever where people could do this. Uh, I mean, we've always thought previously that it's just kind of a, opinion writers that can have, well, an opinion and a personality that comes through on the page. But increasing that's just not the case, is it? We see, never mind the kind of more traditional aspect of journalists popping up on Twitter, like reporters to do like, and popping up on TV to do newspaper reviews or appear on the radio or whatever. We really, it, publishers are surely going to expect more and more this idea that if you're a reporter, you can also create content around your stories, around yourself, so that people know you and therefore want to engage with their story, you know, whatever the sector is. I, you know, I see media stories written by Charlotte Tobin because I know you're, what you're talking about, your personality. I want to engage with that story more, if you see what I mean. Yeah, it's such a complicated issue though, isn't it? Because mm. then there's sort of, where is the line and to what extent can publishers say don't or do or don't be on social media to their employees and and you can say this but you can't say that or um if it, in some sectors it's about to undermine your impartiality and yeah it is a very thorny issue um probably fashion and beauty is one of the simplest areas for me yes. um, compared to news and politics and that sort of thing yeah, um, politics is particularly complicated. <laughs> you know, yeah. tech, again, I can see the advantage again. Now I'm thinking of kind of Joanna Stern at the Wall Street Journal, who, again, is writing kind of personal tech, what how your tech should be, what what products you should use. So you kind of want her to have a bit of a personality so that you kind of relate to the reviews and the recommendations. But, yeah, if you're reporting from Westminster, it's a very different proposition, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And of course, the other element to all of this is, and again, sorry for talking about myself, but it's the kind of idea of when you're creating, not not part of a bigger publisher, but I'll create, you know, a newsletter, a podcast, maybe you're doing a YouTube channel, you know, at what point do you swap from being a, if even if you're doing original news content, like when do you become a creator? When are you being a journalist? How do those two jobs roles whatever we want to call them merge together in that kind of substacky newsletter even the traditional blogging world yeah and like um if if you do something like a newsletter for example within 
a publisher or a news brand and then you leave and do your own thing like to what extent can they be mad about that or you know do you it's always been under very much your name they encourage you to build your personality but you have no obligation to stick with them so probably for for individual journalists it's um kind of full of opportunity but actually for publishers i can kind of see the down there there's two sides there's the downfall of yeah if you help them build their own brand and then they say oh thanks i'm going to go do my own thing now um but then equally audiences do like this like um element of having personality from journalists and getting to know them and trusting them so on in that sense it's a very good thing for um, publishers to do especially with newsletters actually that's it that's something we've written about quite a lot that um if you the more that you have personality in a newsletter and sort of let a writer um add something of themselves to it so um maybe they maybe the readers would get to know that you like a particular sports team so on a particular morning you might be grumpy or you joke about being grumpy and that sort of thing and they they feel like they know you and they want to get the news from you in particular rather than just some random place yeah and the ft is particularly good at this you know because it doesn't even have to be the more uh, congenial things you're talking about the more informal things it can just be you get to know that this person is a real expert and therefore you build a trust with them because you know them by name and therefore the newsletter that arrives once a week is a really trusted resource for you. Uh, Sarah Ebner, who runs the FT's newsletters, um, was talking about this on a recent edition of the Media Voices podcast, which I'll link to in the show notes. And that, that I think is really important, even on the, you know, there's the influence side where we're used to kind of, as we're talking about in women's media, you know, beauty, you know, sex and relationship advice, lifestyle things. Um, but they can just be a sort of but pretty straight expertise thing as well on, I, you know, I don't like to dismiss, you know, beauty as an ephemeral, but people would, you know, economics, politics, people tend to see those as more serious topics and require an expertise from the writer if that's your relationship with them. And so, so yeah, I just think this whole crossover of journalist and uh, uh, influencer content creator is is really interesting. Um, but another thing that struck me when reading your write up of the interview and listening to the interview itself is just kind of what what is the next step for women's media? There's so you know, it's all very well and good Cosmo having great writers that create great content both on the website and on their social channels. But of course, as you've just highlighted, your perfect example of like people leaving publishers to go and be do stuff independently. There's plenty of fantastic young up and coming content creators who don't need to write for Cosmo to get big, you know, deals and big audiences. So, so what really is kind of the future of women's magazines? Uh, just some examples you give in your uh, your piece is kind of worrying. So, you said LUK's circulation was down fifty eight percent in a decade Grazzi's is down 53% to uh Marie Claire now in style UK look and glamour have all gone they're not in print anymore I think they have websites don't they um yeah, most of those brands, the others do. yeah yeah they've most of them have tried to keep up at least as a digital publication and you know maybe that's a good thing like not everything needs to be on the newsstand if they create a fantastic website with great written and pho photography that people want to keep up with that's great but you know it does make you wonder where things are going next can 
these brands can these publications which really you know women have quite a you know deep relationship with some of these brands what how can they survive and in fact not just survive but thrive in the next few years yeah so in a story we did last year looking at the magazine market overall and we sort of um quote an expert talking about how um the magazine sectors where circulation has collapsed the most over the past two years are ones where um, obviously platforms like Instagram can most easily substitute the content yeah. that people once got in the magazine. So, you know, fashion, food, design. So yeah. they, um, actually, women's magazines um, haven't collapsed as much as some of the others. Um, it was like four, down 45% in a year, uh, sorry, in five years to 2021 in print circulation but like others like music men's and leisure sort of had gone quicker but sort of that women's one obviously is very much continuing um so where people can get stuff like that from instagram i think um the 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 near future for women's titles is focusing on their point of difference from the platforms and their usp which is being trusted not just doing really clickbaity stuff which i think a lot have moved away from they've figured out that this they need yeah. to um uh, people want a bit of quality don't they because yeah. there was a, and there was a point where you could see people just turning out very seo orientated very clickbaity not very informative content and it does you know when you look at these websites now it does seem to have got better i think so like if you look at cosmo or uh grazia isn't a um, good good example um they both do really good features and campaigns in particular but also some of the quick and new stories um i think seem really engaging actually um so it's just about you know they've got this legacy name um make the most of it people um, as I was saying before, like with Cosmo, people do know the name, so it's sort of just proving to them that they still deserve the reputation that they've built up for a long time. Um, and then, so it's just, I mean, obviously they have to get on, be on those platforms to um, sure show those the people that are there what they're doing, um, and so you do that in the in the way that showcases um, that. And your best work. The, the fact they can be trusted, yeah, and the best work. And um, I think things like um, campaigns are quite a good way of doing that, actually, and pulling people in. So Gracia did like a you know, domestic abuse yeah. kind of change the law. Um, that's like really impressive. And that's exactly what they need to be doing to show that they're not, uh, it's, it's not just about getting content from a fashion page on Instagram. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that actually the campaigning side of women's media could be a really important factor going forward and could be a, you know there are issues that are really important to women and these places have a real platform and a real voice to lead those campaigns and to have people coalesce around those campaigns which you know however many followers they have individual influencers maybe don't have that clout in the same way yet uh, so i yeah. think i think campaigns could be a real big differentiator in the next few years actually yeah and I, I mean when you think about um some of the other big um brands uh or like news brands um as you say there are 
issues that are really important to women, but in, in you know, it's a bit of a generalisation, but certainly to some extent it's true that those issues aren't um, often highlighted as much or at least as frequently, whereas women's magazines do have kind of that really good niche to say that we're here and we care. And if this is something that frustrates you, it probably frustrates us too. And so they connect, can connect with them on that level as well. Yeah, and have the insights and relationship with the audience to know what those issues are and to build, you know, build a voice for those audiences. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation, Charlotte. I'm off to buy a copy of Grazia and Cosmo. Um, where can people keep up with all your fantastic work? So uh, pressgazette.co.uk, of course, and I'm on Twitter at Charlotte Tobit as well. Fantastic. I'm at Charlotte A. Henry on Twitter and Obviously, if you're listening to this at theedition.substack.com, you know where to find the newsletter. If you're listening to the show in your usual podcast app, head over to theedition.substack.com and join our growing community of subscribers over there. Thank you all so much for listening, and I'll see you all next week. Thank you.